This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, this is Fred Jeff Smith, Pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, and we welcome you to our Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Once again, for those who have not yet been initiated, Thrive is an acronym that stands for Transformative Thinking, Helps Ministry, Renewed Relationships, Invitation to Evangelism, Visionary Worship, and Excellence in Administration. Uh, We hope that this podcast will touch on one or more of these items every week as we go forward. Uh, The last time we were together, I was uh, sitting with our director of our audio video ministry, Terrence Turner. I hope you had a chance uh, to view and or listen to that podcast. I might as well acknowledge the fact that uh, while this is the third production of our podcast, we have had a little difficulty in getting the podcast uh, synced on Apple devices. Hopefully we'll rectify that soon. Uh, But if you can't get it on your Apple device, you can view this podcast on uh, our uh, YouTube uh, channel, Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we hope that you would take advantage of doing that. One of the things that I like about the podcast, as opposed to the other forms of media ministry that we utilize, is that I'm not limited in any way with regard to time. Uh, These podcasts can be as brief or as long as they need to be. And uh, I don't know how long today is going to be, but I thought that it would be interesting that we spent some time talking about uh, the T aspect of Thrive, transformative thinking. Transformative thinking about what? Well, about any number of issues, uh, and I certainly won't exhaust that list today. Uh, But a couple of things come to mind. Someone asked me earlier, what was the podcast going to be about this week? And I said it was going to be a little bit eclectic. Uh, We're going to cover a couple of different items. Uh, But I think that it will be all around the whole idea of transformative thinking. When you're talking about the church, especially uh, the traditional African-American church, uh, one of the enemies of church growth uh, is the lack of creative thinking, the lack of new thinking, the tendency to rely upon the tried and true. Uh, I've certainly been guilty of it in the past. I've been pastoring uh, African American Baptists since 1986. Uh, started off as a 24 uh, year old pastor of a small church in New Orleans. Uh, spent six years there and then uh, spent uh, 21 years as pastor of a church uh, in North Baton Rouge, the Greater Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And for the last almost five years, I've served here at Shiloh. Certainly in my time as uh, an African-American pastor of a traditional African-American church, uh, I have been guilty of relying too much on the tried and true. Truth be told about me, I... uh, I tend to like uh, and and to be drawn to uh, the the kind of worship and the kind of activities that uh, I enjoyed in my youth. I've always been a part 
of the church. But one of the things that I have had to come to grips with in my own ministry uh, is the fact that if we are going to continue to be relevant and meaningful and purposeful uh, in the 21st century and beyond, then we have to constantly challenge ourselves to think in different ways. I was blessed to be able to travel to Charlotte, North Carolina in November of last year, November 9th, 10th, and 11th, and attend a uh, church growth seminar that was sponsored by <clears throat> Dr. Clifford Jones, pastor of the Friendship Baptist Church of uh, Charlotte. And uh, part of what we were able uh, to experience there had to do with reaching different generations, reaching a different generation uh, with the gospel in a relevant way, trying to keep the church vibrant, how to grow a church into the 21st century. And I imagine that for some who will hear and see what we're talking about today, a lot of what I'm going to say is, is going to be something that you already know. But it was eye-opening for me. Uh, and I'm not going to try to rehearse everything uh, that was said. But among the most uh, significant things that uh, we talked about is the fact that for the first time in the history of the African-American church, uh, we are being asked to reach not one, not two, but five different generations of African-Americans uh, with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You say five, and that's what I said sitting there in the chair. Five, are there five generations? And uh, the facilitator identified five different generations. Uh, he called uh, the oldest generation veterans, and uh, he said that that group, uh, the, the, the general span of years for that group was 1922 to 1940. Five. And certainly uh, Shiloh has several members of this congregation that fall within that category. Uh, and then there were baby boomers. <clears throat> That's my group. 1946 to 1964. I was born in 1961, right at the tail end of the baby boomer group. And then there was the Gen Generation X group, which uh, was 1965 to 1980. Uh, and so I, you know, all of that made sense. And then he said that there was a Generation Y group. And Generation Y was 1981 to 2000. And then he said there was a Generation Z group. I'd never heard of a Generation Z group. But Generation Z is 2001 to now 2018, at the time 2017. And so when you look at that, veterans, baby boomers, Generations X, Y, and Z, what he said is absolutely right. For the first time, certainly for the first time in my life, in my career as, as a pastor, and, and perhaps for the first time in the history of the African-American church, we are being asked to reach five separate generations of people and to reach them in such a way as to make our gospel message relevant 
and attractive to each group. And you say, well, what's so hard about that? The gospel is the gospel. And, and if we just share the truth of the gospel, uh, then, then the gospel has drawing power. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw men unto me. And I certainly agree with all of that. The question is not, is the gospel relevant? Certainly the gospel is relevant to every generation. The question is, are we sharing the gospel in a way that is relevant to all of these different generations. To think that you are able to share the gospel to a group of people that are as young as 14 or 15 on one end, Generation Z, and as old as 90 and above on the other end, the veterans generation, and that you're able to reach those two extremes and everyone in between in an equally effective manner, that takes a lot of creativity. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of trial and error. And the point that the facilitator was trying to make to us is that one of the reasons why many churches stumble in their church growth and their numeric growth and the effectiveness of their evangelism and their effectiveness of their discipleship ministry, their teaching ministry, even in the effectiveness of their worship experience is that you, you, you tend to lock in to one particular group of people to the neglect of the others. Now for me, that's transformative thinking. Uh, we complain. Black Baptist pastors, black pastors in general, but I'm more familiar with Baptists. Uh, black pastors in general complain about different generations of people and, and the falling away, the, the lessening of church attendance uh, by succeeding generations of people. People don't come to church now like they used to. People aren't as committed to the Lord now as they used to. <sighs> Perhaps part of our problem is that we're asking them to be committed to something that is not entirely attractive to them. Uh, let, let, let me carry it away from, from worship and carry it to, to something uh, as mundane as entertainment. You know, uh, I, I tell the story sometimes in, in my Bible study about my children who at the time that Katrina hit in Baton Rouge were 10 and 8, respectively. And uh, when Katrina hit, we lost power. And if you've ever been in a house without power uh, in late August, early September, uh, when it's hot and sticky and there's nothing for children to do, you want to entertain them in any way that you can. And so we didn't have power but I was able to put my hands on a portable TV. Uh, and I had some batteries and I put batteries in the TV and I set the TV up for the kids and I said, here, watch this and get out of our hair. Go, go, go watch this. And they weren't watching for more than three or four minutes before they both came to me and they said, daddy, something's wrong with the TV. And, and I said, well, what's wrong with the TV? And they said, everybody's gray. And it dawned on me that it was a black and white television. And my children, 
who were born in 1995 and 1997, respectively, had never seen a black and white TV set. So they thought that there was a malfunction with the television because they didn't see color on the screen. What's my point? My point is, to people of a certain generation, a black and white TV is just a black and white TV. No big deal. But for people of, of a different generation, it throws everything out of whack. The same thing is true with our worship experience. The same thing is true with our teaching experience. There are people uh, who are in the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church who come from a generation where everything was done uh, with a pencil and paper. And uh, when you had a Sunday school class, everyone took turns reading the various passages within the book and everyone else listened. And that's the way that learning took place. And then there are people from a different generation who use uh, a chalkboard and chalk and they uh, put things up on the board and they talk around various ideas that are listed out on a board. And then there's another generation uh, that uh, utilizes uh, computer screens and uh, they have projectors and, and, and they have overhead projectors and they, and they see things that are put on plastic slides. And then you have another generation that has a phone in their hand that doubles as a computer and they get everything from the computer. How do you reach all those generations in an effective manner with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you effectively teach Jesus teach the tenets of the gospel to succeeding generations uh, in that kind of setting. It's not as easy as talking about it. How do you worship and keep the attention of all of these people who have these various ideas and come from these various mindsets? There are some people uh, who believe that if it wasn't written uh, in the 1800s and isn't found in the hymn book, that it doesn't belong in the church. Uh, they want to sing every hymn there was. And then there's a group that came before there was a hymn book and can tell you about having to keep time by stomping their feet on the hardwood floor and singing meters where somebody led and then the others followed behind the leading uh, of, 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 the, of the lead singer. And then you have young people today who don't want to hear anything that's not being played on the radio, that they can't get through other forms of media. Uh, you have people who want to be a part of a choir. You have people who don't think that a choir is any longer necessary in a worship experience. All you need is a good praise and worship group. And if you have good praise and worship absent a choir, then you have everything that you need. You have to find a way. When I say you, we, the church, have to find a way to effectively communicate to each of these generations, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in our worship experience, in our Christian education experience, in the ministry that we offer to people. There are people of a certain generation who don't believe that there should be anything else in a church besides an usher board and a choir, a deacon board and a mother board, uh, because that's all that you really need, maybe a mission society or a pulpit circle. There are others who are looking for all different kinds of ministry to come from the church. They're looking for health care ministry. They're looking for 
ministries that are focused on helping people uh, get equipped and and find jobs within their community. They're looking for mentors. They're looking for people who are willing to commit their time and their energy to to helping their children uh, through extended day academic programs. There are all kinds of ministry ideas that people of certain generations are looking for, that their friends have in other churches. And, and we cannot uh, go to sleep on the fact that many of the, of the children who are members of our churches have friends who go to other churches, churches that are pastored by other groups of people, other races of people, that, that there are people who are a part of, of churches uh, that are not out of our experience, and therefore they offer different things. And they want to know why can they offer that there and we can't offer that over here. And it's not enough to say that that's just not a part of who we are. Uh, because one of the things that was pointed out in the seminar that I attended was that people of this generation Y and generation Z uh, they're not terribly interested in coming to church meetings and, and having uh, issues uh, argued out in, 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 in the quarterly church conference, the business meeting, like, like we got to call it. They're, they're not interested in doing that. They'll simply find another church to attend. They'll find a church that meets their need. If you're not providing them what they are looking for in your church setting, then they will find the church setting that meets their need. Uh, and so since the time that we have been here, since 2013, when we first uh, arrived here at Shiloh, we have tried to be sensitive to the fact that uh, we are a traditional church uh, that seeks to reach a traditional audience, but is also trying to reach beyond that traditional audience to succeeding generations in a way that makes what we offer them uh, relevant to their experience. And so we no longer have up the sign saying, turn off your cell phones in church. I want them to come in with their cell phones on. I don't want them calling anybody with it, uh, but, but, but I want them with their cell phones on. I want them to be able to live stream. I want them to be able to use our uh, app. Uh, and, and we're in the process of updating our app. The church has its own app. And, uh, uh, I want them to be able to utilize that for their devotional purposes, for their Christian education purposes. I want them to be able to uh, follow along with what we're offering uh, through Facebook and through Twitter and through YouTube and through devices like this. This is our first experiment with podcasts. And so what we are simply trying to do is what Scripture says we should do. Paul says, I must be all things to all people that thereby I might save some. And I think that that's the responsibility of the African-American church. I think that's specifically the responsibility of this pastor in this church, in this setting, to try to be uh, all things to all people that thereby we might be able to reach some with the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So... Uh, for me, that was transformative in the way that we think about church. Uh, another aspect of, of transformative thinking uh, that I think is, is very relevant uh, at this point in time has to do with the place of the church and its involvement in 
the civic and community and social justice affairs that are going on in our world. Now, certainly that's not new. Uh, the civil rights movement was birthed in the African-American church. Uh, peaceful protests were birthed in the African-American church. There has always been a, a sense of social responsibility, commitment to duty that has existed within the African-American church. So I don't mean that that is somehow new, but how we do it and the level of involvement with which we do it uh, in the year 2018 becomes very important. Uh, because what we have to overcome today is something that we did not have to overcome uh, 50 years ago. Uh, and that is this idea that because uh, we have enjoyed a certain degree of progress uh, over the last 50 to 60 years, uh, that there is no longer a need for us uh, to be vigilant in our fight for social justice issues. It is positively insulting when I hear people say, uh, well, blacks have overcome because Barack Obama was president of the United States, or blacks have overcome because we have a black mayor, or because we have black members of uh, the Metro Council, or because we have black school board members. Uh, uh, there, there, there's perfect equality now because blacks are not denied access to any place uh, that uh, they want to be a part of. So I don't understand why there's still all of this talk about racism. That It's positively insulting when you hear talk like that because what it suggests is that because uh, there has been some level of change, and there's no denial that there has been some level of change, that the level of change has been sufficient and that we should not want to be full participants at the table of brotherhood, at the table of advancement, at the table of progress in this nation. And, and, and then there will be those who say, well, that's not the church's role. The church shouldn't be involved in that. The church should only be concerned about <clears throat> saving souls. Well, Jesus wasn't just concerned about saving souls. Jesus fed hungry people. That has nothing to do with saving souls. Jesus healed the sick. That had nothing to do with saving souls. Jesus uh, cured the infirmed. He caused the blind to be able to see and caused the lame to be able to walk and caused the deaf to be able to hear. Jesus even raised the dead on more than one occasion. Uh, none of those things have anything to do with the salvation of the soul. But what it does do is show us that Jesus was concerned about the totality of the individual. He was concerned about not just man's soul, but about his body, about his economic status, about his social status. He was concerned about the total individual. And if we are to be effective disciples for Jesus Christ, then we must be equally concerned about the total individual. And so when I look at a community, like Baton Rouge, where I was born and raised, and I see some of the racial division that exists within our community, I can't simply be quiet and say 
that because I'm doing okay, because I personally am doing all right, then I have no reason to uh, be concerned about my fellow man. Uh, I have every reason to be concerned about my fellow man, not just my fellow black man, but my fellow man in totality, because it is my Christian responsibility to affirm the value of every human being. And so when we see injustice take place, like the Alton Sterling death and the fact that there has been uh, no effective proposal, no serious proposal put forth for police reform uh, in the 18 and a half months since he was put to death, that there have been no criminal charges brought against the two officers, Lake and Salamone, uh, either by federal authorities or by state authorities, who still have not come back with any kind of decision as to whether or not uh, a crime was committed in this man's loss of life. When, when, when I see that uh, these two individuals are on paid administrative leave for 18 and a half months and are still uh, considered to be employees of the Baton Rouge Police Department in spite of the fact that our own mayor has suggested that they both need to be dismissed and yet that has not happened. You have to say something about that. You have to talk about the injustice uh, that exists within law enforcement uh, in our community. That is not to say that I don't believe in law enforcement. I believe in law enforcement. I believe in effective law enforcement. I thank God for effective law enforcement officers and the protection and security that they give us. But that does not mean that you can turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to the fact that for certain segments of our community, law enforcement is lacking. It is our responsibility to say something about that. When I look at the fact that there are people who live in communities where there is not a decent grocery store, there is no grocery store at all, at the best you have convenience stores, and they don't have access to fresh food in their immediate area, and they have to go through great pains in order to go to communities where they can receive fresh food, we have to say something about that. Uh, because uh, a people who cannot eat well are people who will suffer uh, health-wise and are people who will suffer academically. Uh, studies have linked proper nutrition and diet with the ability to study, with the ability uh, to experience academic achievement. And so where, where there's not nutrition, uh, not surprisingly, there is a falling down of academic achievement. Uh, where there is a lack of nutrition, there is an increase in obesity. There is an increase in poor health. There is an increase uh, in diabetes. There is an increase in high cholesterol. There's an in there's an increase in heart disease. There's an increase in high blood pressure. All of these things are associated with a lack of access to food. And the church has to say something about that, has to speak truth to power. The, the list of things is myriad, uh, and, and I'm not here to preach a sermon. What I am here to say is that it is positively frustrating 
to me. Not only on the one end where where some people say, well, equality has come because Barack Obama was president or because Sharon Weston Broom is mayor. Equality has come. That's frustrating. But what's equally frustrating is that the church, the voice, the conscience of the people, the spokespeople of God, in too many cases, is not speaking out against these wrongs. Not everyone has the ability uh, to be on television. God has blessed us to be able to do so. God has blessed us to be able uh, to be on radio. God has blessed us to be able to utilize various media resources. I'm not I'm not sitting here, this is not an humble brag about what the Lord has blessed us to be able to do. But by the same token, every church is open on a Sunday morning. And every pastor, every preacher has an opportunity to share a word on a Sunday morning. And every pastor and every preacher has to stand up and be Nathan who goes and speaks to David and says, you are the man. If transformation is to truly take place, then we have to be willing to speak to power, not in a malicious way, not in an ugly way, uh, not in a, a reckless way, but we have to be able to speak to power what thus says the Lord and call people to action. That is our responsibility. That is how transformation takes place. Transformation is not immediate. This is not a one-hour television show where everything gets solved within 47, 48 minutes. It's a long, slow, painful process. And, and quite often, the seeds that we are planting today, we won't see the harvest that will come. But I can guarantee you this, there is no harvest where there are no seeds planted. We have to be willing to plant the seeds. And we have to be willing to, to endure what comes from planting seeds. Not everybody likes it when you, when, when you speak truth to power. Not everybody values the truth that you speak. You run the risk of being criticized, of being ridiculed, of being ostracized because of the truth that you speak. It was true in the scripture. It was true during uh, Reconstruction and those things that led up to Reconstruction. It was true during Jim Crow. It was true during the Civil Rights Movement. It is true today. We always take a risk when we speak truth to power. But with regard to the work that the church has been called to do, we're not here simply to, to entertain people with polite stories that we... Uh, uh, share from scripture we're here to connect the truth of scripture to the relevance of contemporary living and people need to walk out of our churches on sundays and on wednesdays or whenever we have our bible studies and we have our sunday school classes they need to be able to walk away from from those experiences with something that can not only feed their souls but can equip their minds and embolden them to be able to deal with the realities of life. We need to promote voting within our churches. Changes are made by those who show up. Voting for African Americans should not be something 
that we even think about. It should be a given. It should not be arbitrary. We should vote. I don't care what the vote is for. It is up to the church to encourage people to vote for every ordinance, to vote for every tax, to vote for every office, regardless of who the candidates are who are running for office. People died for our right to vote. And it is a disrespect of the price that was paid on our behalf for us not to exercise our right to vote. The church needs to take the lead and that the church needs to take the lead in teaching people about diet and nutrition. Uh, Jesus, as I said, was not just concerned about the soul, but was concerned about the body. And we are killing ourselves. Yes, there was a time when we had to take what was left over and try to do the best with it. And we, we took it and turned it into an entire uh, repertoire of cuisine that we call soul food. That stuff is killing us. <laughs> we need to learn how to eat healthy. We need to learn how to eat smart so that we can have healthy bodies, live quality lives, and make a quality uh, uh, contribution to our communities and to our families. We need to be concerned about diet and nutrition. We need to find a way to merge uh, health and nutrition and medical care into the ministry of the church. Uh, we need to continue to find ways uh, to bring academic uh, avenues and the church together. Uh, many churches, like this one, uh, provide scholarships for uh, their members and, and for segments of the community to try to promote the importance of academic uh, achievement uh, for the future vitality of our children. More along that line needs to be done. We must be involved in the total activity of people's lives if we expect to be relevant uh, to succeeding generations. Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, they're only going to hang around if they feel like we have something to offer them that's relevant to where they are and what they are about. And here's something else that we need to do. We need to listen to them. We need to take the time to sit around and listen to them. We need to be able to call them in and sit them at tables and allow them to share with us their concerns about church. One of my experiences with, with church is that uh, we, we, we often don't listen uh, as attentively as we should to younger people because we look at the financial roles and we see that the younger people uh, don't make the same level of contribution to the church's finances as others. And, and in that regard, we become like every other institution uh, in, in, in our society. Those who have uh, more to contribute in a financial way have a greater voice because of their money. Well, I understand the need for money. There's no ministry without money. Uh, I certainly understand that, that that's important. But I know this. If we don't listen to these young people, if we are not interested in learning from them, and if we constantly push them off and say, come back when you have something financial to contribute, they'll find someplace else to go. 
and ultimately our churches will suffer as a result. There's certain realities about church life uh, that you can't get away from. One of the realities is less people are going to church now than they were 30 years ago, than they were 20 years ago. Uh, the, 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 there is a slow but steady decline in church attendance in this country today. It's slower within the African-American community. Uh, we seem to have uh, a, a closer relationship with church life within our community than you can say about other uh, ethnic and racial groups, but the decline is still there. It's undeniable. Uh, and that means that we're all trying to draw from a smaller and smaller well. Well, there are two things that we have to do. First, we have to find a way to, to continue to draw from that smaller well, and then we have to find a way to make the well bigger. And in order to do that, we have to be open to the fact that we don't know everything, that we can learn, that we can grow, that we can do things differently from how they've been done before. And different does not mean bad, and different does not mean wrong. And then we have to also acknowledge the fact that in order for us to be the church that God called us to be, that we have to be willing to offer something to succeeding generations that will give them a desire to stay and to plant and to harvest in our field. A secular world out there uh, is, is calling to them and with greater and greater frequency they're heeding that call and ignoring our call. We have to do something to stem that tide. It involves transformative thinking. It involves being brave enough to say I don't know. It involves being honest and vulnerable and saying I need help. The church needs help. The church needs to listen. The people who we need help from also need our help. So it can be a mutual thing. And isn't that what the church is supposed to be about? Isn't it supposed to be about people with, with various strengths, bringing those strengths together so that they can complement one another and collectively the whole body can grow? I'm Fred Jeff Smith. I hope that you're enjoying this podcast. I hope that you will continue to listen and be back with us again next week. Thank you for listening to the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Next week, we welcome Reverend Demetria Jones-Smith, Minister of Christian Education. Until next time.